You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. Today's guest speaker, we have Stacy Stubblefield, co-founder and CIO at Telesign that raised $78 million in funding and was acquired by BICS in 2017. So in this episode, we'll talk about this acquisition, how they got there and mainly how they managed to acquire their very first large customers and how it led to a chain reaction where the first acquisition of a big customer led to the acquisition of a bigger customer and so on and so forth. So today we'll talk about this and the happy ending of Telesign. So Stacey, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Telesign. Sure. Hi, thank you for having me here. Super excited to be a part of this. Um, Okay, so just a little bit of background on myself and on Telesign. Telesign, for anyone who isn't familiar, does two-factor authentication via text message. And basically what that means is Anytime you're logging into a website or uh, a mobile app somewhere and you need to receive a text message with a PIN code, we actually provide that service. And we started providing it way back in uh, 2005, so many, many years ago. (laughs) Um, And my background, I actually started that company out of an incubator right after college. I went to USC, University of Southern California. Uh, was a business major, graduated, and then joined this incubator. And so that's really where Telescience started. And and I should mention, I have a couple of co-founders on this business as well. So it wasn't just me uh, starting it off. Nice. So uh, first question is actually, what was your role as a CIO? CIO, I think it means Chief uh, Information Officer, right? So it was actually Chief Innovation Officer at Telescience. Innovation Officer. Okay. Yeah. And what, what yeah. was your day-to-day looking like? Okay, so my role actually as Chief Innovation Officer didn't begin until we were acquired, Um, and uh, that's when that role started. So back in the day uh, when we first started Telesign, my role was very much in the, uh, well, I should say, I mean, when we started the company, we didn't really have very defined roles. There was only three of us, and so we we would just do what needed to get done, right? But we Mm -hmm. naturally sort of moved into our own um, our own strengths. And my strength has always been on the technical side, technical and product side, and then business strategy. So that's really where I spent a lot of my time. So really deeply understanding um, our clients and our clients' needs uh, for, you know, to, to build out the product. And then also understanding the technical landscape, especially as it relates to telecommunications, and the problems, um, the problems there, and sort of how we could help people solve those problems. Mm-hmm. Nice. And yeah, I mean, when you have three people on the team, everyone is doing everything. So uh, it's, yeah. it's where to have some specific roles there. All right. Uh, so one more question that I completely forgot to ask you, which is coming out of an incubator. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? So incubators usually, the, the, the incubator itself starts the company and then the spin-off happens if the company looks promising. Can you tell us a lot more about that process? How did this happen? How did the spin-off go? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And, and back in the day, when we started in 2005, incubators were very different than they are today. So like right now, okay. incubators, I feel like it's, it's like a science, right? People really have it down. Back in 2005, it was very like, you know, un, unstructured, very disorganized, you know, it was really fun, you know, to be, to be really honest with you. 
Um, and so the way that it happened was we started working on Telesign. That was one of the first projects we started working on at the incubator. And um, it, we didn't spin it out of the incubator until 2010. So it took us a good five years to really grow that business and spin it out. And the way that it worked when we spun it out, we had already at that point seen a lot of growth and a lot of um, a lot of you know big clients start to join us. And that's when we really knew that it was time to spin it out. Uh, and so we brought on, we actually brought in an outside CEO at that point just to sort of help us um, uh, organize the business, if you will, and make it look like a real business and, and scale it. Mm -hmm. Nice. Love it. And yeah, let's, let's talk about this major subject of today's episode, which is acquiring those big customers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, how did you manage to acquire the very first big customer of yours? Yeah, the first big customer, man, it was not easy. I have to say, like, at the very, you know, when you're a small company, it's hard to get people to take a chance on you, especially when it, especially when you're talking to huge companies who, um, you know, if you sort of understand the mindset of people at huge companies, they, you know, a lot of the mindset is like, I don't want to get fired, right? And like, mm -hmm. and taking, taking a chance on a small company that doesn't work out is a good way to get fired, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so you have to make sure, uh, so basically what we did, it's kind of a long story, but basically what we did was, you know, we were reaching out to a bunch of big companies. We were setting up meetings and our reach outs were largely email based. So frankly, we were spamming a bunch of big companies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> figuring out who the best targets were at those companies and figuring out the email, you know, formula, like first name dot last name at whatever, and just sending a bunch of emails. And I mean, we also did cold calls. We also did like, you know, just mailing people. We would fax okay. people. We were relentless. <laughs> one of my co-founders actually got a cease and desist from one of the companies to give you <laughs> an idea. Oh my, all right. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, it was uh, intense, right? We didn't give up, but um, but yeah, and we we did get the attention of some big companies, and we would talk to them, and they would be interested, and then they'd figure out, you know, how small the business was, and then they, you know, just didn't want to take a chance. And so, basically, what it came down to was we found uh, we started talking to Craigslist, and Craigslist had a big problem with people posting um, affiliate spam, which I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It doesn't really matter, but they just had a bunch of basically fake postings that they needed mm -hmm. to get rid of. And it was a, a, like a really big problem and they would take basically any solution at that point. And Craigslist is great because even though they're a household name, everybody knows who they are. They are the type of company that is willing to, you know, to take a chance and to give someone uh, the opportunity to help them solve their problem, regardless of the size of the company. And so we started working with them very closely and really understanding their fraud, the people who were behind the fraud, the motivations. And mm -hmm. we started, you know, spending a lot of time on black hat message boards and listening to the fraudsters, reading how they were, you know, causing problems and whatever, like their methods. And just learned a ton. And anyways, so, um, so that's how that's how we started working with Craigslist and, and got our, our first big client. Nice. So first of all, congrats. That is great. You know, just keep going. Uh, but <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about this part where you're just spamming people, cold calling them, which requires a lot of 
bravery to be honest i have no idea how you managed to do this because it's it's rough <laughs> especially cold calling a big company can you tell us a little bit more about this process you know what was the major thing that you learned from you know spamming all those big companies what do you think gave you the best results there i think yeah i think that spamming was the best of all of our methods <laughs> honestly. um and i that what gave us the best results was really honing in on the message and making it as personalized as possible. And I don't just mean like putting the person's first name or whatever in the email, but like really understanding what their problems are. So for instance, we would, we learned sort of about the black hat message boards through Craigslist, for example. Um, but after we found them, we found that they were talking on those message boards about a bunch of other companies and the ways that they would scam those companies. And so we would go in and screenshot that and send it to the company and be like, this is what's happening. This is what these people are doing. And this is how we can help you. Mm -hmm. And so it was really like, you know, really understanding the clients and the problems that they were having and ex explaining distinctly. Like you can't, you know, write like a dissertation. Like it has to be quick and bullet pointed, you know, to, to, for people to even read it in the first place. But uh, once they read it, if you're telling them, you know, if you're solving a problem that they have, people tend to be pretty open. 100%, yeah, just some life hack that I personally used a bunch of times in my uh, previous work. Uh, sending out a bunch of emails with just one question. You figure out what the problem for a person is or for the company. You formulate a question that they have to respond to with that exact problem that you're solving and just send out 200 emails. The response rate in those is absolutely huge. And then you're like, hey, by the way, we're, we're actually solving this problem. And then the conversation yeah. goes. So uh, some life hack that we recommend everyone to use uh, helped me a bunch in the past. So hopefully it's going to help you as well. Moving on to the next question, cold calling. That's something that is very rough for a lot of founders. Cold calling is like the last resort. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that process was going? Were you actually just, were you making research on the person on LinkedIn and then, you know, following up with them on the phone or how did that go? Yeah, it's a good question. So actually uh, most of this was done by my co-founders. I'm not the salesy person so much. Basically, <laughs> basically what they would do is figure out the right person at the company to talk to or, you know, several people who had the job titles or worked in the departments, either via LinkedIn or via, you know, other types of research um, online, maybe going directly to the website and seeing who works there, whatever. They would figure out who they wanted to talk to. And then they would call in and many times literally use the company directory. Like if you can go in and figure out, you know, press star, press pound or whatever that you need to do to get the company directory and then you can find the person and then okay. go directly, yeah, then get routed directly to them. Sometimes we, we would do it at night so we would know no one was gonna pick up, uh, <laughs> no operator, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, right. basically, just hunt them down, you know? <laughs> uh, this is insane. You need to be real brave to call people like that. Uh, that uh, deserves some respect, that's for sure. And <laughs> I mean, do you have any results based on uh, cold calling? Have you seen any good you know, uh, feedback from that or people did not like that too much? It would just depend on the person, you know, you have to catch them at the right time. Some people mm -hmm. are more open to that than others. And, and you know, I do believe we had some good conversations that way, but it, you know, it really depends on the person and, and at what point you catch them. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, let's talk just a little bit more about the domino effect of acquiring one big customer and which uh, opens the door to the next big customer. So after you got Craigslist as your first 
big institutional customer. How did you utilize that to talk to the other customers who were just blasting an email saying like, hey, we've got Craigslist using our solution. You should use it too. Or was it some approach that involved some some actual thought, not just me coming up with it yeah. in, in five seconds? <laughs> uh, well, for the most part, since we are a security company, we couldn't actually blast an email that said that because we okay. were, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't put in writing that, uh, that type of information. But what we could do was say uh, that we were, you know, working with large companies, helping them solve X, Y, Z problem, and then sort of speak to how that was being solved. And we did, we did use that, you know, we would say stuff like we're working with, you know, one of the largest online classifieds websites, that type of thing. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there's only a handful uh, and people would get the idea. And once you have that credibility, once people know that you're helping a, a company that clearly, you know, is sort of on the front lines, at least back in the day uh, with fraud. Now there's a lot of other types of fraud, a lot of other types of companies that are mm -hmm. you know, on the front lines. But back in the day, they really were. Uh, then it lends a lot of credibility to your message and to the fact that you can actually help solve a big problem. Nice. I love it. Uh, good approach. Good uh, way to, to, to pass the message without actually disclosing the name of the company. Uh, so let's talk about the acquisition part of it. Before we move on to the acquisition of TeleSign, on our pre-interview call, you mentioned that TeleSign actually acquired one startup themselves. So can you tell us a little bit more about that acquisition? How did it happen? Why did you decide to acquire another company? Yeah, so that uh, acquisition happened because we had we had already been talking about doing an acquisition because we wanted to get access um, to certain basically telecommunications infrastructure without going too much into detail. We, we just needed more access into the infrastructure. Uh, and so, and, and to actually acquire that ourselves would have been a really big pain, frankly. It would have taken years to do. And so we were talking about, you know, how can we get this without, you know, spending years and years. And we started looking around at, every year we used to attend this conference called Mobile World Congress. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's a huge, mm -hmm conference that happens, used to happen once a year in Barcelona, would still be happening if COVID, you know, hadn't come along. And, um, and it had like 100,000 attendees, huge, huge conference with a bunch mm -hmm. of companies. And so we would go and just sort of look around and meet everyone there and talk to the big companies, talk to the small companies. Uh, and during that process, we actually onboarded uh, a vendor that we met there and they were a small company based out of Belgrade, Serbia. And we really liked working with them. We thought they were great. And they had this access that we needed. And so we were sort of, you know, using them for a variety of things, including that access. Just started talking with them more and more, got closer and closer. And they dropped at one point during our conversations that they were looking to sell the company, that the owner was looking to sell the company. And so it was pretty, like, you know, serendipitous, like, you know. Um, uh, because we weren't really like doing a formal hunt at that point. And so we started talking to them more and more and basically came to terms and decided to do the acquisition. We needed to raise a round to, to make the acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and that's what we did. So it ended up being like this very, like we didn't run like a formal process to find a company. It was very much just like right place, right time type of a situation. Yeah, like most companies get acquired by another startups. That's I see it more and more happening. And yeah, it's just again networking. That's why I always emphasize the importance of networking. If that smaller company was not at that event, 
nothing would have happened. So yeah, definitely go to the events, network, uh, talk to people. You never know how long it's going to take uh, for, for this you know, connection to pay off. But eventually, most of those connections actually do pay off in one way or another. So definitely take some time to network, put effort into this, and hopefully it's going to bring pay dividends, dividends later down the road. Uh, so let's talk about fundraising because you know it's fundraising really we've got to touch onto that subject as well so uh telesign raised over uh no it's actually it raised exactly 78 million dollars right mm -hmm, that's right mm -hmm. so you raised 78 million dollars that's a ton of money congrats good work i love seeing those numbers on the company uh can you tell us what do you think was the major mistake in that fundraising process? So, you know, looking back at all those years while you were running Telesign, what would you change in that company from the fundraising perspective? Yeah, that's a really good question. So from the fundraising perspective, I would say at first we we were very much bootstrapping the company and I would I would not change that at all. Um, and then when we raised the A round, it was to make this acquisition. So we had a very defined reason for making for doing the fundraising. So I also wouldn't change that. I think that it worked out really well. But then when we took the series B, we did not really have a defined like uh, reason or target for taking that series B. It was pretty much just because money was cheap and easy at the time and we figured mm -hmm. we'd eventually make another acquisition or something. And looking back, like I probably would not have done that round just because it doesn't, we never ended up using it, you know, um, and it ended up being essentially just a cost to the company in the end. Um, so there was, I'd say the main learning out of that is, you know, if you're going to raise money, have a good use for it. Don't, don't just do it for fun. <laughs> Yeah. So have a good, you know, a, a good target for how you're going to spend those funds. Very important. Yep, exactly. Every time you're thinking that it's time to fundraise, double and triple check that you really do have to fundraise because I keep repeating this to founders and some founders just don't get it. Venture capital is actually the most expensive capital that's available out there in the world. Like, I think it's literally the most expensive capital out there. So Definitely double check that you need to have the VC funding. If not, do everything you can to, to avoid that funding because it's very frequently not not worth it. So going back to the happy ending, Telesign eventually was acquired. Can you tell us a little more about that? How did your acquisition happen? Sure. So the acquisition happens uh, because this is also... Uh, <laughs> So the, the company that acquired us was a um, vendor to us uh, as well. Nice. So we, yeah, we did a lot of our networking via vendors, uh, which again, like it's, it might be specific to that industry because you just have to have like a million vendors in, in the telecommunications industry. Um, but, uh, but anyways, the way that it happened was we started, so we had been uh, in 2017 when we were acquired, we had been in business for 12 years, which is a very long time to be in business. And we had, you know, raised around in uh, 2012. And so those investors were starting to, you know, look at potential, like, you know, exits, right? Because mm -hmm. at some point when you have investors, you need to exit. And we had been doing the business yeah. for 12 years. So we were like, okay, like it's probably, probably time, you know, like let's do, let's move on with our lives. <laughs> and so, and we also started to get approached around the same time because one of our major competitors had just been acquired. Uh, so, you know, you'll find that once one company gets acquired in an industry that it becomes kind of a hot industry for acquisitions, because then all of the other competitors to the acquirer start thinking about 
doing a similar type of acquisition. And so we started getting some inbound um, uh, interest. We started thinking about, you know, doing the exit. And so we actually ended up running a formal process to see who was out there, who wanted, you know, who, if anyone was interested and like, what do the numbers look like and whatnot. And so, uh, so we hired bankers and we did the whole thing uh, and we, we had some interesting offers. And so that's how we uh, decided to, to go ahead and go for it. Nice. So you've gone through a very formal process. I love it. I will always love when founders approach it uh, from the standpoint, like, okay, it's time. We know that you know, we're in good shape to get acquired. Let's do this. Let's not wait for this, you know, great friend of ours from five years uh, that we met five years ago, come in and offer the acquisition. Let's just take the matters in our own hands and sell the company. I love when they have the control. Uh, speaking of running a company for quite some time, you started a company about 16 years ago, which is quite a while ago. Can you tell us some major um, changes that you've seen in the startup ecosystem that you've seen happening during this, you know, 16 years? Yeah, I feel like, honestly, it feels like a totally different industry at this point. You know, when we started in 2005, like, it was not cool to be in tech. It was just nerdy. People, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was no, it, it was not, it was not like it is today. Um, things were much less um, formal things were much less organized, very similar to, um, you know, the, the incubator that we started out of, like everything was just kind of new and, and different and fun and nobody had it down to a science. And now, and also I should say the internet, while it had been around for a while, was still pretty young. Um, there wasn't as much information out there. I mean, there was a lot of information, but not like it is today. And so uh, now I feel like people have access to a lot more information, a lot, a lot more tools, clearly a lot more tools. I mean, AWS was started in 2005, right? So before that, you had to have your own servers if you wanted to do anything. So, which was, I mean, we literally did. We had our own servers. Nice. <laughs> so very different time. So, um, so I just think that things are a lot easier tools-wise to, to put a new company together. I think there's a lot more information out there. It's much more of a science at this point. A lot more people are, are into it and, and moving into it. So, yeah, just very different um, over time. 100%. I mean, I'm glad to see those changes. It became really much easier to start a company in 2021 than it was in 2005. I have no idea how people did it back then. It sounds very rough, to be honest. <laughs> and how people started companies pre-2000, I'm like, okay, what do you do this, right? Everything on paper? Um, anyhow, that is weird. I'm glad to see all those changing changes coming in. And yeah, speaking of changes, so what happened after you sold the company? What are you working on now? Are you doing any angel investing for younger companies? Are you doing any advisory roles for them? Or what are you working on right now? Yeah, um, I am. So I actually didn't leave the company until the end of 2020. Um, and I'm still in an advisory role actually at Telesign and then also uh, working uh, in an advisory capacity to a few other companies, um, doing some angel investing for sure. Some interesting things have come along um, and then also working on a few new projects as well. So in completely different spaces. So um, one in prop tech, one in uh, enterprise communications and one in hiring. So all a little bit different. I like to be busy. I get bored very easily. And so looking to uh, see what happens next. Nice. That's really cool. I love that you've chosen three completely different uh, verticals to work on. That is pretty cool. Um, 
All right, now that we've covered all of it, moving on to the last two questions of today's episode. First being, what's your advice to founders who are listening to this right now, who are trying to figure out you know, how to raise that very, very first check in their company? What would you recommend them doing? I would recommend, as we discussed, you know, first making sure that you actually need the money. Like you don't want to take money if you don't need it. It is expensive capital and you do have a lot of, you know, people then that you're answering to once you take money. So that's one thing. I think the second thing is finding, you know, if you do want to raise, find the, the types of VCs that are going to provide more than money. Like you need more you need more. You, you, it, money is great, but it's it's much more helpful if they can provide introductions, if they can help publicize you, if they can give you sort of you know mentorship and information. I think that that's um, that's actually far more valuable than than any funds that you'll receive. Um, and when it comes to tracking down uh, VC and actually getting um, you know actually raising the money. You know, always try to have in mind the VC's perspective. Like, what do they want? Uh, what do they want from you? And make sure that you, you know, and they all have different thesis. They, you know, will want to see uh, a very successful company after X number of years. Just make sure that you're speaking to, uh, not making anything up. Like, I'm not telling you to, to to make stuff up, right? But just make sure that when you're presenting your idea and your business that you're presenting it in such a way that they're going to find it compelling um, rather than like you finding it compelling, right? Just keep their perspective in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, great advice. I mean, uh, I want to follow up with something, but I forgot what I wanted to say. So moving on to the next question, <laughs> last question of today's episode, apparently it's the end of Friday. I'm getting tired. So moving on to the very last question of today's episode. So Stacey, uh, it is a call to action. What do you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over, like right now? That is a good question. And I do not have a good answer for you. I, I, don't, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I just hope uh, I don't have anything that I want you to do specifically so i just hope that whoever's listening to this goes and um you know takes the next step that they need to take towards reaching their goal whatever that happens to be you know uh just just go for it and don't don't sit around and think about it just actually go for it that's my my last thing 100 percent. yeah that is Slightly vague, but still very good, very good advice. I mean, that's the, uh, a lot of founders I see them doing the same exact thing, you know, oh, we're playing this, oh, we're preparing that, or we're finalizing the designs. Oh, come on, just do it. Uh, so yeah, exactly. that's going to be my call to action as well. Follow Stacy's call to action and also check out the description of this episode. I'm going to leave a few links in there. There's going to be a link to Stacy's LinkedIn. There's going to be a link to TeleSign. There's going to be a link to... Something else. Um, I'll follow up with Stacy to make sure that I include a few more links on maybe relevant materials. Oh, there's gonna be another link, by the way. There's gonna be a link to the episode where I was asking ABC about the questions that a founder should ask VC to make sure that they provide more than just money because every single venture capitalist says, oh, we're more than just money. Uh, most of them are not. So to make sure that they are doing actually, you know, what, what they promised to do, Check out that episode. Uh, we cover all those questions in there. So do that. Check out the description of this episode. Go do something as Stacy told you to. And as usually, have a good day.